Geek Vibes Live is rated G for Geek. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of Geek Vibes Live Interview. I'm your host, Tia, and we will be expecting Richard State Jr. very soon. If you are not familiar with Richard State Jr., um, I assume that you don't watch Supernatural. Um, no, Richard State Jr. is very well known uh, from the show Supernatural on CW and is actually here to promote his movie Driven. And I believe I have Richard on the line with me right now. You're darn right you do. <laughs> Richard, it is so awesome to speak with you. My name is Tia from Geek Vibes Nation. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tia. How are you doing? Are you washing your hands and staying six feet away from everybody? Um, washing my hands is, don't know about six feet away. I try to, but everyone else seems to not be adhering to that. But besides that, pretty good. Um, as long I, as you're trying, as long I, as you're trying. I'm trying. I get a, a B for effort, but I don't want to start this show off a little weird, but I will say that I went to a Supernatural convention, I don't know, about three or four years ago in Houston, Texas, and so, and you were there, so when my editor-in-chief said, hey, you're going to be interviewing Richard, do you know him? And I'm like, I actually got a photo off with this guy, and you had a very <laughs> bushy, <laughs> you had a very bushy beard in the photo. I went back and looked at it. So, what's the facial hair situation right now? We got beard, or we do, we you. don't have beard? No, this is the kind of question I've been waiting for. Thank you for getting it right. Um, it's about <laughs> beards and COVID and lockdown. Um, I have a beard. I'm, I'm sporting a beard now. I almost always have some form of facial hair. That's who I am. That's what I like. But various times in my life, it, it's in control, and other times, it's out of control. It's been out of control um, pretty much since we started lockdown. It, it got, it, you know, I stopped shaving, and it, it got bigger and bigger. It had sort of a, hello, I'm in lockdown, you know, there's a pandemic kind of vibe to it. Um, Last week, uh, my wife put her foot down, and she said, you're going to be practicing social distancing from the front gate if you don't trim that thing. So I, uh, I've trimmed the beard. I still have a beard, but it's well manicured now as opposed to looking woodsman. Ah, I see, I see. Well, it is easier probably to put the mask on now as opposed to the woodsman type of beard. Well, there's already so much in that beard that I don't, I mean, you know, like t- putting the mask on is like taking a knife to a gunfight. But yeah, I mean, I guess now that it's trimmed up, I'm probably doing more to actually not just hold the virus in my mustache, but actually keep it off other people. Well, we, we appreciate that, certainly. Uh, how has social distancing been for you um, as an actor and someone who's active in your profession to kind of be locked down right now? Well, you know, from a work standpoint, I had, I also, aside from act on 
Supernatural. I also direct Supernatural. And I wrapped my final episode on that show. The, fi- the last episode I was ever going to direct, I wrapped and flew out of Canada. And then everything shut down behind me. So I got to do the job I was hired to do, which is cool. It, you know, it sort of has prevented me from going out and doing anything else. But I feel like I'm one of the fortunate ones where my my moment wasn't interrupted. Supernatural as a show has been interrupted. Um, and that's a drag, but they'll, they'll figure out something around that. They'll, they'll, they'll get it back up on his feet as soon as they're allowed to. Um, so work-wise, it's, it's kind of weird not knowing what's going to happen in the future. You know, somebody had an interview and somebody's like, so tell us about future projects. I'm like, well, okay, there's, uh, there's going to be dinner tonight and then probably uh, some math review later in the day for the kids and maybe a spelling test. I mean, like my life is their life right now. But to me, that actually has become a massive positive because I've spent so much of the last decade on the road from working on shows in Canada, doing conventions, doing independent movies like Driven, which shot in Mississippi. I'm out of town all the time. So the silver lining to this cloud for me is I've gotten to I'm getting to spend a lot of really great quality time with the kids, which is pretty awesome. They might not say the, the same thing about having me around all the time, but my perception is it's a really rare treat to be here and be around and, and be a part of this whole experience with them. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that my experience is probably similar, but my birthday was March 13th. We did the big shebang for my 30th birthday. And literally that Monday, it was like New York is shut down. So, you know, um, everything else was fun. I was like, well, at least I got to have my big, you know, uh, festival and everything. But no one else got to. Are are you New York-based? I am. I am. I'm in uh, Westchester, New York right now. So in in the hot spot. (laughs) But, you know, it's not so bad. It's not so bad, as you said, though, all these shows and everything are getting postponed, but it is good to hear that you were able to wrap the final episode of that you directed for Supernatural. That was, as a fan of the show, that was really cool for you to, to know that you were coming back to direct, and it was really awesome seeing your vision from, say, that side of the camera. Um, I... Because things are kind of weird right now, I know that no one can see into the future, but conventions are such a big thing in Supernatural. As you said, you've been on the road so much in the past decade. Um, Do you know if they are going to continue with conventions after the show airs its final episode, and would you be a part of it? I have no idea what's going to happen in the convention world. Now, I can't imagine they won't figure out something that keeps fans and actors connected. And that may be conventions, but in a different form. I, I, you know, I don't want to be Johnny doom and gloom, but I can't imagine a world where we will be shoulder to shoulder um, in those tight lines anytime soon. I kind of feel like they're going to have to make some adjustments uh, for the new normal, at least temporarily, if not for good. Um, but, you know, I, I, like everybody else, want to get back up there and reconnect with people and, and do, do my job and 
have fun socially and do the things we were all doing before. So when there's an opportunity to safely return to that world, I will be, you know, right there with everybody else. Um, it's just how do we untie that knot? You know what I mean? Like how, that, that's the challenge. But that goes for anything. That's, that's how do you go shoot a TV show with those big crews? How do you fly safely? How do you navigate theme parks? How do you do conventions? I mean, there's so many things that have to be figured out now. And, and conventions are just, are just one more of the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sitting here waiting for them to say that your Comic-Con has been uh, either postponed or canceled, or maybe they're going to do something like they're doing with San Diego Comic-Con, which is more of a digital convention. But kind of, I would say, the good thing was, well, there was a lot good with your movie Driven, but what I was going to say is you're in a car most of the time, so that was kind of like the best form of social distancing. Um so Driven, um, which comes out on DVD and digital on June 16th, you film a lot of the movie takes place within a vehicle. How was yep. that for you, shooting most of the movie in a car? Um, did it feel different than filming most projects that you've done? Not really. Uh, but, you know, I think the challenge really fell on Glenn as the director uh, and his team to shoot it because it's very cramped quarters. But uh, from a acting standpoint, you know, whether you're standing in the kitchen, you know, running along the street or sitting in a car, acting is acting. It's about connecting with the character and that char- character connecting to the other characters in the scene and, and finding the right beats and moments within the framework of that scene. So approaching the, the work itself, the set didn't matter. Um, I thought it was, you know, it was appropriate for what the movie is, and I thought Glenn did a very clever job in in shooting it, and Casey and I had a very sort of theatrical approach to the work in terms of how we worked on the scenes, because they are some long conversational scenes. Um, So I, you know, I felt like the approach from my end wasn't really altered by the the space. In in fact, if anything, because it is a... uh, scene, uh, sorry, a movie that's largely two people and largely in a car, a lot of times in TV and film, you fake stuff. It was nice not to have to fake that. We were in the car. We were driving a lot of the time. And if we weren't driving, we were fake driving, which felt real. So it it lent itself to doing our best work in that situation because that's what the situation is supposed to be. Right. I I thought the dynamic between the two of you was – hilarious um specifically the the uh whole quote-unquote turd spoon like shtick that kind of kept going throughout the movie and I noticed while I was watching it at some point you guys were talking about it and you laughed and it seemed to me like a very earnest laugh and I'm not sure if you remember that scene but to me it seems like one of those things where Maybe you weren't supposed to laugh on that cue, but it was just so funny that you did it, and they were just like, you know what, let's keep this in the movie. Uh, yeah, that, that's when I'm, I, I assume you're talking about when I sit in the back seat and start laughing about her yes. story. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it, it plays that way. It actually is written that that, that is the structure of the scene. But, um, look, it was a, it's a funny bit. I mean, you know, I, even when playing the character, I can appreciate how ridiculous 
that story is and how dryly Casey delivers it and earnestly she delivers it. And so it, it makes for an honestly funny moment. Um, but actually having that, having Roger himself react at that time in that way is, was actually part of the story. Okay. Yeah, it was just one of those things, like, to me, anyone who's lived in a not-so-nice apartment and is maybe a little strapped for cash could, maybe they don't have a turd spoon, but they could totally, um, you know, feel where she's coming from with that. So I just thought that that was a really funny bit going on. And as I you said, you play... Drew line. I, I thought it was so funny. Like, I thought that, I agree. I, and I think anybody's ever had a crappy apartment, Lord knows I have, and had too many roommates, and Lord knows I have, can appreciate the turd spoon because the turd spoon is what it is for the movie. Everybody has their own turd spoon story. It may not be an actual turd spoon, but everybody has something. If you lived through tough times when you were young with roommates, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. No, that's why I just, I, it was so relatable to me that I was sitting there and she delivered her line so spectacularly. Um, and your character, Roger, I, at first I couldn't get a feel for him, right? At first I really thought, like, oh, is he the bad guy? But then obviously it turns out where they have this partnership. So how was it for you getting in the mindset of someone like Roger? I thought, you know, it was a well-crafted character on the page, which made diving into it easy than if it was a problem script, easier, and fun because it's a layered character. He's not just a bad guy. He's not just a good guy. He doesn't even know what he is. He's trying to do this thing, and because he's such an, so inept and such a trust fund baby, he doesn't really know how to relate to people anyway uh, or confront, you know, the people he's confronting or the situation he's confronting. He's so in over his head and so in denial about being in over his head that his choices and decisions are at once frustrating and baffling and humorous. And I think that makes for an interesting character. And so it was fun to find the moments when Roger is serious. It's fun to find the moments when it's goofy, but to not play goofy, just play Roger, let Roger, you know, let the character of Roger dictate if the moment's funny or if the moment's serious or the moment's kind of sad or the moment's kind of touching. And, you know, Casey did the same with her character. And so those characters, you know, weave in and out of connections with each other based on their own response to situations versus, hey, let's make this scene funny. Hey, let's make this scene serious. Hey, let's make this scene sad. If we are true to the characters and try to make every scene just honest on its face, then sort of the reactions come naturally that way. Right, right. And I definitely felt that with the movie. Um, I really liked the dynamic, as I said, between you two. How... I remember seeing actually this movie before it was presented to me um, about last year because there is another movie called Driven with uh, Corey Stoll and Jason Sudeikis. So your movie actually also popped up when I was looking up Driven. So it is very interesting that then your movie was presented to me. So when did you guys film this movie and how long about did it take to film it? took 12 days to shoot, and we shot it um, a year ago, January. So not not four or five months ago, but a year and five months ago. And how is that, like, Do have you been in a movie before that has filmed within 12 days? Because sometimes when you hear that, you're like, wow, that's 
not a whole lot of time, but then also it seems that a lot of movies, maybe even indie movies, do kind of work at a faster pace than, say, uh, oh, bigger blockbusters. Yeah. Oh, they have to. They don't have the money. I mean, look, you, you, you get an indie film, you've got to shoot it in the amount of time you have, and you've got to shoot it with the money you have. And, and both those things are massively limited when you have an independent movie. And they're linked. If you're renting equipment, you're usually renting by the week, which means your weeks are six-day work weeks. So you can shoot it in 12 days or 18 days. You know? And so you, typically there's a reason that it's a certain amount of time. But, yeah, it's, it's an incredibly fast-paced. Glenn and Casey and their crew were incredibly prepared because they had to be because if they didn't hit the ground running every day, they wouldn't have gotten their footage and couldn't have cut together their movie. So they were very organized, very focused, very, quote-unquote, driven to do this movie really well, given the tools they had to use. And the tools were limited, but within the confines of a limited toolbox comes creativity. You know, I think that's, that's what lends itself to creative filmmaking. When you know what your limitations are, you know what you can't do, you know what you, you're only able to do X, Y, and Z, so you make the most out of X, Y, and Z. You capitalize on it, you come up with creative ways to, to zero in or avoid certain things and that's when you get some of your most creative filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. Indie films, I feel like, always have a special place in my heart. I don't think that people, I don't want to speak for everyone, obviously, but not everyone pays attention to indie films. And there's a lot of gold there that is really untouched. So when you were filming uh, Driven, did you ever kind of, take a step into, say, uh, helping in behind the camera? Were you solely the actor for this? Well, when you say step up behind the camera, I think every actor helps with production, meaning once you're shooting, I didn't ever become the director. It's Glenn's movie, and I didn't ever become the writer. It's Casey's movie. But if you are an experienced person from the business, which I am, and you're there to do the job, which I was, then your brain becomes an idea machine for any problem that comes up. What's the best way to shoot a moment? What's the best way to uh, tackle a scene? You know, what we were trying doesn't work. Anybody have any ideas that we can put in place to make this moment happen? Or maybe if we move this line that way and you become part of the spitballing machine that is just there to be sure that everything gets done the best way possible. So I, I was absolutely part of that discussion. And I don't think that necessarily has to do with the fact that I now direct television i think it would have been the same had i made this movie pre getting into directing because i love the process of making film i love team sports making film is a team sport and once you're on the team and you're on the set and you're in every scene which i was pretty much then you become a a crucial component in helping the ball roll forward as fast and as efficiently as possible you know, you can be the guy with the ideas that slows things down, but I, I like to think I know my place well enough and know my business well enough and do the story well enough to not be that guy. You know, you know, anytime I'm chiming in or working with the cast and crew who are, you know, part of the same project, it's to it's to be part of the how can we make this awesome machine. Right. No, and I love that, the creative process through all of that, just working with everyone and kind of knowing your place, having a feel for the story that you're doing. So I really think that you guys did a great job in Driven. Um, It's certainly 
took directions that I wasn't expecting, and I liked the directions that it took because, again, your character seemed very serious at first and was serious for a lot of times, but to kind of know that he wasn't, say, a mass murderer was nice. At first I was like, oh, God, you know, get out of the car. He's got got a knife. (laughs) So I think he did a good job in really pushing that feel out there. Well, good. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the goal is to sort of have a couple of false leads. Uh, and, you know, if we made people think one thing and then revealed it to be something else, then good, because that's the goal. Right. Um, and, Richard, I hope you don't mind me asking. I do want to ask you just, like, one or two supernatural questions, just because I feel like I have to. Uh, sure. But... So when you first came onto the scene as Supernatural, you were presented as the trickster god, Loki, which was really cool when I was watching uh, Supernatural. I was like, oh, awesome. I really like Tom Hiddleston's Loki in the Marvel movies. So I'm like, we have another Loki. And then it was revealed that you were the Archangel uh, Gabriel. And my question is, when you were first brought on to play this pagan god, did you have any idea that in the future you were going to have this big reveal that, in fact, you were this other sort of character? No, I, I, I had no idea. I'm not sure they had any idea. I got hired to do one episode, and mm-hmm. as far as I knew, that was the only time I'd ever be involved in the show. You know, So, right. no, I, I, I did not have any uh any insight into the future of the character at all, and I, and again, like I'm, I, I question whether the uh, the guys, the, the 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 writers knew that at that point either. I don't know, but it was there's so many giant gaps between my arrival and my re- revelation that it seems to me like it might have been a, an, an evolved decision. Right. That's what I kind of was assuming when I looked back on it, but you never know. People have these grand plans that they have, uh, and it takes years for it to all sort of come to light. Um, So you've been in the show throughout the series, both in front and behind the camera. Your character came back in season 13. How did that feel to come back um, as this character when most of us had kind of sat there and accepted that you were gone in that sense. Well, I accepted that I was gone. So it was quite the surprise, quite the surprise. I was already <laughs> slated to direct two episodes that season. And then Andrew Dabb, the showrunner, or co-showrunner, in a conversation we were having about something else, said, oh, by the way, you're coming back. And I said, no, I know, I'm directing another episode. He's like, no, your, your character is coming back. We're bringing Gabriel back. I'm like, holy crap. I had no idea. And to me, it was a great joy because it wasn't just popping in for a quick moment. It was, they really brought the character back and really finished yeah. off the story that they had started back in season two, three, and five. Uh, and who gets the chance to do that? I mean, the show has to be on for over a decade for that to pay off. And it paid off. And not only that, but then I got to direct sort of Gabriel's seminal episode um, where he confronts Loki and all that whole storyline is brought to light. So it was a great gift to me for them to bring that character back and allow me to put on the wings again and, and, and portray that character and help that story wrap up the way it wrapped up and to be a part of the directing team that got to tell Gabriel's story. Yeah, which was so cool. And I know that 
a lot of fans appreciate that. That's kind of the really cool thing about Supernatural. They bring back characters, and as you said, a, a show has to be on for more than 10 years at that point, and it's on its 15th season, um, which is the last season, and obviously, as we spoke earlier, they had to stop production on everything, the world. Um, is there any sort of feelings that you have knowing that the show is ending, or are you kind of like, you know, it's, it's had an amazing run and all things must end? I think both those things are true. I, I am truly blessed to have been part of that show. And so I will always miss that show. It has been, even when I wasn't acting on it and wasn't shadowing directors and wasn't directing, I knew the show was there. It's been a consistent in my life, in my world, in the world for 15 years. So um, having it be gone will be a devastating uh, change and one that I'll get used to, but one that I, I, you know, I, I don't look forward to. That said, how many shows get to go out on their own terms? How many shows get to decide, you know what, we're going to pull our, our boat into port and call it a day? Almost all shows, popular and cult favorites, get canceled between seasons or get canceled mid-season for reasons that no one understands or have an actor leave and then the show comes back, but it's not quite the show that it was and it stumbles along for a while and then, you know, fizzles out. This show has stayed true to what it is from day one with the two main guys batting full strength for 15 seasons playing the original roles. That never happens. And they have made the decision along with the production to wrap up the story. That never happens. It's just, you know, the checking the boxes of that never happens in television, that list gets longer and longer when you talk about supernatural. This is just one more way that it is rare and unusual. And, you know, if the show were not to get wrapped up in this way, it would get ended in a way that no one likes. So that's all I say. Appreciate the fact that this is going out on its own terms. Appreciate that the actors, lead actors, Jared and Jensen, have a voice in that wrap-up. And know that if you're super bummed about it and devastated to see the show go, that means the show did 15 years of solid work and never let you down because you still care. And that is a great accomplishment for a television program. That's a great accomplishment for anything and anybody anywhere, let alone a television program. So, you know, Supernatural kicked out the door when it showed up and it's gracefully putting that door back on its jam as it walks out and it's going to close it behind it the way it wants to. And that's pretty awesome. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. Uh, even Law & Order SVU, which is going on for, it's been renewed up to, I believe, either 23 or 24 seasons. And I'm still a fan, but it only has about one or two characters still from the beginning and certainly not the other half of that main duo there. Uh, and we've seen plenty of shows be canceled in their prime. So 100%. It's nice when a show or a movie series gets to bookend what it wants to do. So I am not, you know, sad, obviously, but under, understanding and happy it's going out uh, on its own terms. But, um, Richard, 
I know we made a joke in the beginning that there's really nothing going on right now. So I do want to ask, though, before the world ended, was there anything that you were working on that you're really excited to get back on the road or anything that you know once everything does clear up, you will be getting to do? Well, you know, it's kind of random. I finished my Supernatural run as a director, uh, and that was awesome. So luckily that didn't get interrupted because um, I directed the – I was directing the last episode when it got shut down. I was able to finish my episode. Um, I'm really – I was going to play – this is not the acting thing, but I have a band called Dick Jr. and the Volunteers, and we were going to play some shows around the southeast and east coast, and that got canceled. So I look forward to getting that back up on the road. Um, and interestingly, one of the things I'm really enjoying doing now is a product of the lockdown and that's, I'm doing a podcast with Rob Benedict. Um, he and I started a lockdown podcast called, and my guest is Richard Spate. Uh, and it's been super fun. We've done eight episodes. It's up on Apple iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's not, sorry, it's not on Stitcher. It's on iTunes and something else point is wherever you get podcasts it's there and it's been a real kick in the pants to do something like that which we have done at a distance you know he's on a mic in his house i'm on a mic in my house but we figured out a way to make this work and it's been awesome and so that's something i'm hoping to continue once the lockdown uh is over and done with that's awesome definitely Anyone who's listening, check that out as a podcaster myself, where in my normal podcast, my co-host lives in Arkansas. I completely understand um, doing it when you guys aren't in front of each other. And podcasts are super fun to do. So um, that's awesome that you get to do it with Rob. You guys seem like you really developed this awesome friendship. And I liked your videos that you guys did kind of back in the day. I thought they were all really, really entertaining. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, Rob and I are great buddies, and we play play off each other really well. We have similar senses of, sense of humor that are also different enough to make them work well together and not step on each other. So it's a real treat to work with them in this capacity. Awesome, awesome. So, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I certainly hope once everything kind of gets running again, if you have anything that you'd like to promote, feel free to come to us. We will promote it happily and that your kids um, appreciate you uh, you making dinner for them and all that. <laughs> They'll appreciate it 10 years from now. But, you know, I tell you, I appreciate you having me on the show, and I know that everybody's in lockdown and looking for stuff to do. So it is a great opportunity to catch up on entertainment, and it's a great opportunity to support um, indie filmmakers. You know, watch. You might be drawn to watch Driven because I'm in it, if you're listening to this, but appreciate Driven for the craftsmanship and hard work uh, put in by the people who made the movie, Glenn Payne and, and Casey Dillard and their crew, because really it's the love of film that drives people to put in that, much work and that much passion and that much blood, sweat and tears into something that isn't a big budget movie is purely a labor of love. And we want indie filmmakers to make more movies. We want them to be out there telling their non-corporate stories, the stories that are unique to them that they can then go make. And we as an audience get the benefit from their hard work by watching them. So spend an hour and a half, watch Driven, support the filmmakers. We'd really appreciate it.
Yes, absolutely. I was nodding the whole entire time. Please make sure that you watch Driven, as I said earlier. It comes out June 16th, digital um, and DVD, so please make sure you check that out and make sure you follow Richard on all social media to check out what he's doing next. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and, and all your questions, and I really appreciate you bringing up the beard. Yes. <laughs> awesome. I'm so happy about that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. Have a great one. You too. Everyone, that was amazing. I had such a great time with that interview. Um, I don't know if you could tell, I was definitely a fan and um, a little nervous before that interview, but very happy. So make sure as I just said, check out Driven, support indie filmmakers, and follow us on geekvibesnation.com. We're on all social media. We are bringing tons of interviews, articles, news, thought pieces, all of that good stuff. So make sure you check that out, and I will see you guys next time. Bye.